It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. It is Locked On Jazz for the 14th of May. Some lingering questions from a great Facebook last week. We'll hit on those. Preview the conference finals and look at the firings and hirings around the NBA. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. Thanks so much for tuning in to Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, all sorts of geeky numbers, and a look behind the curtains. Hope you're great. We'll be with you this week. Off next week, um, and I've got the schedule set. I don't think you, it's not like you're going to be marking your calendar, but just wanted to let you know. So I'm with you this week. Off next week. Great time of the year to send me in questions because I've got time to grab them and, and dig into them and, and, and look at them. Uh, we were going to start player reviews. We'll do some of that probably later in the week, but I thought there were still some great questions lingering, uh, from earlier in the week. And so, uh, or last week, and I wanted to get to those. I, I thought there was just a, a great group of questions uh, that came in. And then also the conference thoughts on game one, Celtics Cavs in game one, Warriors Rockets tonight. And the Lockdown Podcast Network has done some really good work with some of the big news stories that are out there. Atlanta made an interesting hire. Toronto fired Casey. So Sean Woodley is going to give us a long breakdown of, of that huge news in segment three. And then Brad Rowland's going to give us some thoughts on the, on the Hawks hiring of uh, Lloyd Pierce, which interestingly, by the way, to our conversation the other day um, that we had about uh, the inefficiencies in the marketplace of coaching, Lloyd Pierce is a non-playing um, African-American. I thought it was interesting. There was a piece on that um, that I, that was uh, written uh, out of the McKinsey Business 
that was out floating around this weekend um, debasing the corporation and an interview uh, about how why corporations make mistakes and do things wrong. Um, we'll we'll check on that tomorrow in tomorrow's show a little bit more. But I thought it was to that conversation we had. Um, it was a pretty interesting comment. He said, uh, and I'll I'll share this with you here and then dig into it more. Um, uh, there was a great quote in there from uh, the former founder of GM who said, we, may, we seem to all be in agreement here, so I suggest we adjourn, reconvene in a week when people have had time to think about other ideas and what might be wrong with this. Uh, in other words, common viewpoints and agreement is not uh, always the best way to do things. Uh, there was another point uh, where the person being interviewed commented, no, we want to hire people that think differently from how we do, especially junior hires, because we want to take risks. And that's the place to take risks because the people, the person does things that are a little different from us. So interesting. I think we, we we're looking for common thought all the time. And this kind of painted a different picture. We'll touch on those. It's kind of an off season thing that, you know, read a bunch of interesting stuff and get into it. All right. Uh, today's show brought to you by Murdoch Chevy in intercap lending. Uh, one of the questions that came in was about Tobias Harris. Um, I can give you a quick answer on Tobias Harris specifically. Uh, moreover, what I think is interesting about Tobias Harris is f- one approach the Jazz have to this offseason. And, and I do think the biggest decision the Jazz have to make in the offseason is is how they're addressing the power forward position. Uh, to me, that's the primary, because it really gets into the core of how you're moving forward. And whether or not you are are going to join in the ranks of everyone else playing small and whether you're going to have, you know, we've played small and I'm not sure we've actually had, you know, players who are naturally playing small. Quinn's kind of found a way to play small and, and be successful would be the way um, that, that I would talk about it. That, that's at least my viewpoint on what Quinn's been able to achieve is that he found a way to play small um, without necessarily having, you know, Tabo Cephalosha, Jay Crowder um, aren't marquee stretch force. There aren't a lot of them. We've talked about this um, before. So Tobias Harris gets into an interesting player because Tobias Harris is kind of one of those guys on draft night in his era slipped a little bit because he was a positionless I'm not sure if he's a three or a four, and he's not necessarily the most elite athlete, and what is he going to play? And, well, it turns out that in this day and age he can play probably either, but is probably a four, and then he can really shoot it. And he gets to be a pretty interesting player. Um, so some play- people have asked me about Tobias Harris, and as I said, I can give you the answer of Tobias Harris specifically, which is he's a nice player. He can really score. He's improved a great deal. Um there used to be around the league some warts about talked about in regards to his personality. Um, he seems to be through those. Um, he is supposedly, you know, uh, you know, is, but he's, you know, he's a takes thirty one percent of his shots from three. He shot forty one percent of them. He never goes to the free throw line, so he's not an entirely efficient player. Despite shooting forty one percent, he averaged nineteen points a game. He's about an average pack player. Um, he definitely stretches the floor. You got to believe in him, and he opens up a lot of stuff. He's a really interesting player. 
He is also, this is why I wanted to bring up Tobias Harris. He is also under contract next year. And this is one of the things that I think gets really interesting for the Jazz offseason. And that is, one, are there players that they're interested in this year? And I've always thought the problem with playing the free agency game is that when you play the free agency game, your your choices are your are being dictated by who's available, not necessarily instead who you're interested in, but instead just by who's available. I would rather search the league, analyze the players at every position, and say, "Oh, I'm really interested in this guy." The uh. So maybe Tobias Harris is that guy. And so the question then gets to be, is there a pack if he's a free agent at the end of the year, next year, can you do something in the meantime to hold off and then go get him? Can you do something right now that would allow you to go and uh, get him before he becomes a free agent? I would always... My personal feeling is for us, if we can have a player in-house, it's always better off for us to have a player in-house, have them experience who we are, what we're going to be, and then sign them as a – see if you and then try to re, – and then re-sign Plus, you have bird rights. But so Tobias Harris has $16 millions on the books this year and fourteen point eight next year for the 18-19 season, so he's not a free agent. And so the bigger picture, if I'm trying to be clear here, what I'm talking about is whether or not are there players out there's two angles on this. So are there players out there that rather than free agents this year you would like a year from now? First, can you acquire them now? You're going to have to give something up instead of just signing as a free agent, but can you acquire them now? And then secondarily, is there a way that if you can't acquire them now and that's your target, do you feel confident enough that in an open free agent market you could sign them? Can you do something in which puts you in a holding pattern for a year and still positions you to go get that? And, and in some ways there's better free agents in the 1819, at the end of the 1819 season than there are this year. So I think that's a, it's an interesting kind of important aspect to this offseason is I think you have to look at it a little bit in a two-year window. Um, I'm going to have to get better versed on some salary cap issues and figure things out. Clippers are interesting because they have a player option on DeAndre Jordan. I'm assuming he's going to become a free agent, and then I don't know what he gets paid. Uh, Austin Rivers is a player option at $12 million, and I'm assuming he's going to opt out, and they'll pay him a long-term deal. Um, you know, they are negotiating... Uh, with the coach's son at that point, which gets unique. And then their salary situation, their Avery Bradley's a free agent. They have a team option on Patrick Beverly, and they're already at $108 million. So I don't know whether or not they're trying to shed. Um, and Montrell's Harrell is a free agent who was pretty darn good for them this year, like really good. Um, so I don't know if they're trying to shed or not, but it's worth keeping an eye on to see. Uh, where they are. They don't have a lot. They could really open things up for the 18-19 year um, in the process because they have Gallinari for 22 and Lou Williams for 8, and that's it uh, in that upcoming year if they don't re-sign DeAndre Jordan. The other one was, you know, obviously the question about Kawhi, 
we do not have a roster that we can put together big trades. Uh, we just, one, we don't have really, I think, anyone that's appealing. And two, we don't have the big salary numbers you need. I mean, unless we're trading. So Alec Burks is at $11 million. He's not going to move a meter, but I do think he's probably something you could move. Um, <clears throat> Rubio's at 14.8. Ingles is at 12.5. None of those are going to go get you Kawhi, though. You know, trying to pull a big, huge blockbuster deal, Gobert and Donovan are your pieces. I don't think we're planning to do anything there. I think that this group, with the emphasis on chemistry, is reluctant to go move Ricky Rubio or Joe Ingles. Uh, and that that comes that's that's your t- big piece salaries that you're trying to move there if you're going to try to make a trade. Uh, I was on the Danny Larue's podcast about. Um, the Western Conference, and then we talked preview, and then we talked real GM, and we talked about um, Dante Exum, and I wanted to just bring up what I said there because I think it's no need to have it on their podcast, and then you hear about it. So I just said openly that I have no idea. Um, I truly have not the slightest idea on what Dante Exum is and as a player. I have absolutely no doubt as well on why he was drafted fifth. So if you watch him play, you can see it, right? It's that first step. It's incredible. Um, he's He gets to the basket. He's long. His defense is, can be great. He's gotten stronger and bigger. At the same time, I think I talked about this, His and, and we just have missed so much this season, right? We missed the entire 15-16 season. Um, wow. Wow. Supreme Court rules that federal ban on state-run sports betting is unconstitutional. Huge, landscape-changing sports moment just came across the wire. The wire is an old phrase, but wow. That is that is a mammoth game-changer to sports, sports viewing, live sports. U.S. Supreme Court rules that federal ban on state-run Sports betting is unconstitutional. I'll probably have to devour that a little bit before I get into it tomorrow. But, I mean, I think you're going to be able to bet the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. I think yesterday you'd bet Tiger Woods versus Jordan Spieth. So there are going to be just side bets going on. It's just an incredible um, game changer. Uh, It also probably is a DraftKings fan duel draft game changer. So pretty interesting uh, I don't know if it's good for them or bad for them. I mean, the big boys are involved? Not sure. Anyway, uh, back to Dante. So Dante, I believe, in his career is, if we look at it, is about 23 of 111 on any shot off the bounce. In his career. I mean, he's been in the league for a long time. Uh, he hasn't played for a lot of it. But so this last year on... In the regular season on pull-ups, he was 1 of 4. The year before, he was 8 of 33. And the year before that, he was 14 of 74. Like, without that, I don't like. I don't have any idea in a day and age where that play is becoming even more and more important. He's really not, doesn't shoot it. Takes him a long time to shoot it. In a league where, where, where you still have to stretch everybody out. I mean, I just don't have any idea. I mean, the strengths are so incredible and the weaknesses are equally on that end of the pendulum, it's very hard to figure out where, how he plays out and what you do with him as a player. 
Uh, but I, I, you know, we broke that down on that podcast, and I wanted to make sure uh, I touched on. It. All right, let's talk about the conference championship matchups. Uh, game one is in the book, and Warriors, and some reaction to that, and Warriors and Rockets as we continue. Remember, you can get all of your latest locked on news at lockedonsports.com or lockedonjazz.net. Today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Chevy. Fun stuff going on at Murdoch Chevy. They are uh, they they always have fun with their kind of monthly things. Uh, Tyson does a great job over there, and uh, so what they have done this time is made you a part of the family. That's right. That's the whole slogan. And <coughs> excuse me, I I laugh, I chuckle. Uh, one of the things they're doing as part of the family is. If you buy a car with Murdoch Chevy, they will give you a free DNA kit because it's the be part of the join the family SUV sale. I like it. It's creative. It's fun. Here's what the deals are over at Murdoch Chevy. $7,000 off a Chevy Suburban and 0% financing on select SUVs. Plus, it's Murdoch, so you get car washes for life, safety inspection for life, five-day exchange policy, famous price match guarantee. The Chevy truck line is incredible. I was driving uh, the Silverado. Absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. The truck world is just great. Their SUV lineup has got the Traverse now has three seats as well. So come find new roads with Murdoch Chevy in Logan and in Woods Cross. Visit Murdoch Chevrolet Logan and Woods Cross or at MurdochChev.com and say hi to Tyson for me. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, uh, here's some thoughts on game one of Cleveland-Boston. First thing is, I think we've got to change the narrative on Boston. And this is, you know, this is a credit to Danny Ainge. But, so, I got it. They've got significant injuries in two of their better players. But the idea that they're not talented, when you look at the, when you watch that game and you watch these teams go head-to-head, like, Boston's got better players. And <clears throat> it's not like they're, like, Marcus Morris was the 14th pick of the draft I think he might be the lowest draft pick that's playing, unless Terry Rozier was lower. And Terry Rozier was the 16th. Okay. So Rozier was the 16th pick. Morris was the 14th pick. Smart was the 6th pick. Jalen Brown was the 3rd pick. Jason Tatum was the 3rd pick. These guys are good. Um... Al Horford was the third pick, right? They're not playing scrubs. It's it's interesting. I watched the game, and I thought it was really Boston's talent was wild to me. The mismatches were much more dramatic. Like Kyle Korver's trying to guard Jalen Brown. And yet, in the opening quarter, all five of their starters, Terry Rozier, Jalen Brown, uh, Jason Tatum, Marcus Morris, Al Horford, and then Marcus Smart came off the bench. All six of them guarded LeBron James on a possession and looked fine. I mean, t- Terry Rozier looks a little small. 
but not like not terrible. Whereas I'm watching Cleveland, they have defensive liabilities everywhere. Kyle Korver, Rodney Hood, everywhere. Kevin Love is getting abused. J.R. Smith is pretty close to a defensive liability. I'm not sure George Hill's not a defensive liability. I'm not sure Jeff Green's not a defensive liability. Jordan Clarkson's slow. Their second unit, Clarkson and Hood, looks so slow. I thought it was really fascinating. Now, LeBron's the great grand the grandiose mismatch, right? I got it. But I thought it was really, really fascinating to see that kind of matchup between those two teams where everybody been when you suddenly saw it in person compared to what it was, I thought was pretty interesting because it looked dramatically different. The other one is that Boston just matches up well. So Boston runs the sixth most amount of handoffs in the NBA, and that just makes Cleveland start doing things. Now, Cleveland defended the handoff pretty well last year, this year. For all their defensive problems, Cleveland was the eighth best team in the league defending handoffs. Um, but it still puts every single one of these guys into some sort of liability. Boston's the uh, – Cleveland is the – People ran the fourth most amount of pick and rolls against Cleveland last year, this year for a reason, because they're 29th, really tied with Denver, last in the NBA defending picks. So that, and Boston comes with you with so many different things. Boston comes with you with Al Horford leading the break, or Jalen Brown leading the break, or Jason Tatum leading the break, or actually Marcus Smart leading the break, or, or getting into the early drag offense with Al Horford with the ball coming off somebody, or running the, a floppy set with Al Horford, and you're just dealing with so many different things. If you're not sound defensively, you're going to get exposed. That that was that jumped out to me and was was abundantly clear watching that game. But and and you know the first go back to the very first possession of the game. Boston deflects Cleveland's first two passes. Like there's their very first two passes that Cleveland throws. Boston. Uh, deflects them. And then Boston's doing some interesting things. They're bringing a double at LeBron, but because of Cleveland's lack of offensive movement, they know where to get back to, and they're probably as good as any team in the league at contesting shots. I think at some point we will see Cleveland knock down some better shots than they, they did in game one. Uh, that, I haven't, uh, I didn't look at what they're I love these numbers on what – so Boston had better shot quality uh, with a quantified shot quality of 51.5 to Cleveland's 49.2. So that's a pretty big difference. But Cleveland shot 11 percentage points below what was expected, and Boston shot 6 percentage points above. Okay. Um, I kind of think if we go back and look at the Jazz-Houston game number two – that was a similar finding that we found in game number two. And if you recall, I kind of unfortunately was like, yeah, that's not a great sign for us. Um, I'll look that back up. But game number two, I believe, which was the May 2nd game, Houston shot 10%, 10 points below their expected, their quantified effective field goal percentage, and we shot seven points above. So that's a similar discrepancy there, 17 points off of what you should have expected. That's... That's not going to happen for the rest of the series. So Boston does a great job at contesting shots, but they were 
they were giving up some looks. Um, however, Boston still has better shot quality because uh, Boston's able to get out and close. Warriors, uh, Rockets today. Quick few thoughts on this, on that series as it starts. One, Rockets' Achilles heel is transition defense. I think that's the biggest weakness in this series, and I, and therefore I think that the Golden State has, has the edge because unless Houston starts playing transition defense better, they're in trouble. Two reasons. One, they're not particularly athletic, and two – when they're playing guys in each corner and Harden drives and Capella rolls, they're now four flat. When they miss the shot, you're going back the other way. You've got numbers. So that's going to, I think, and then Golden State in transition is incredible. They, actually, that stems all the way back to Mark Jackson. Uh, for the very few things that Mark Jackson uh, should get credit for, the one thing they should get cre- he should get credit for is the amount of how he pushed transition and how he allowed them to shoot threes in transition early. The Warriors had the most transition possessions in the league this year, nearly a hundred more than anyone else. Uh, their efficiency in those transitions is they were the fourth best in the league. The Rockets are the best, by the way. If the Rockets get out and run, they're the best. Um, but that's not, and the Rockets defense was 23rd in the league in transition this year. So that I think is, I think that's going to be the Achilles heel. The second one is in a series that will have the most switching of any defense in the league, the two teams that defensively force the most isolation possessions of any teams in the league. 100, per 100 possessions, the Rockets force 20 possessions, 20% of all possessions into isolation. The Warriors are at 17%. The league average is about 13%. These two teams, with their switching defenses, force you into isolation more than anyone else. And by the way, they defend them about the exact same. In fact, there's some metrics that say the Rockets are actually better defending in isolation than the Warriors. Um, So they force you into isolation. The single most unguardable player in the series is Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is, is... this is where Durant's uh, involvement helps them at a way that um, this this is really where they you know they they make a difference um, and and having Durant is this is what they added is in these circumstances they can suddenly make a big difference the teams the. There are some hidden gems here. Let me t- take a second and take you, walk you through the Rockets and the Warriors' isolation uh, work because this is one of those, you know. All right, so if you can get it out of Durant's hands, you can get it out of Harden's hands. So the best isolation player is obviously James Harden. He, he had the best isolation series in a year. And Steph is um, and Steph is actually right behind him. So the two, the two of them are the two best. Now, Durant, my criticism of him often is that he takes – Shots that are excessively difficult um, that he doesn't need to take, that they're just they're a little t- more difficult uh, than he needs to because he can. Eric Gordon is a stunningly good isolation player. He was not against the Jazz. I didn't think he looked right. And Clay Thompson is a stunningly bad isolation player. Eric Gordon one point oh nine points per direct isolation. Clay Thompson point seven nine. So keep an eye on those differences. And see whether that shows up. Trevor Reza is terrible in isolation. He'll generally avoid ever being in that circumstance. Um, so is, you know, Quinn Cook and PJ Tucker and some. When you get into isolation, 
you know, we're going to Harden, who had 1,000 isolations. Chris Paul had 400. Durant had 400. Eric Gordon had 190. Clay Thompson had 130. And Steph had 100. Like, it's – there's three guys on each team. Steph, Clay Thompson, and Durant, Harden, Paul, and Eric Gordon. And um, keep an eye a little bit on that Eric Gordon, Clay Thompson aspect of things where Gordon is better. The final one I would say, uh, just to, you know – Detailed stat kind of look at the Rockets uh, run the most off-ball screens in, excuse me, the Warriors run the most off-ball screens in the league, and the Rockets are the best in the league at defending off-ball screens because of the amount they switch. And so it will be curious to see whether or not um, they can stymie that. The Warriors are not only the best, most common off-ball screening team, they're the number one off-ball screening team in the league, and the Rockets uh, make you run the fewest off-ball screens of anyone in the league because of the fact that they switch all the time. And they defend them better. That, to me, is the most interesting matchup. Will the Warriors be able to maintain their off-ball screening action? They're not a pick-and-roll team against a team that switches like the Rockets, who usually take teams out of that. Today's show is brought to you by Intercap Lending. This is who we did our refinance uh, with their, uh, Josh Romney moved the company. It's been around for 40 years to Utah recently. They're employing upwards of 200 people in the state. Uh, they do really neat things. I love kind of when I sat down with Brock and Steve Carter and they explained in Josh and they said, here's our goal. We want to, we want to do things differently. And I said, okay, well, what's differently? We want to be hyper responsive. We want to embrace technological change and we want to improve the borrower experience. My favorite was Steve Carter said, remember, you know, when you order pizza, and you can just like do it online. It's easy. It's just done. We'd love to turn that into what the mortgage experience is. And they come pretty darn close, I got to say. Steve was amazing. You can reach him at 385-800-8528. But that's what we did online. Took all of our pictures uh, through the app, the Intercap Lending app. You can actually download the app and get pre-qualified uh, on the information through the app and give it to your realtor, which will help you in that process. But we were able to literally... Uh, take all of our pictures of all of our documents there, get them across, and communicate through the app. It allowed us to close the loan on time and get it done. If you do your mortgage with Intercap Lending, they'll give you the appraisal for free, 385-800-8528. That's 385-800-8528. Talk to Steve Carter. By the way, the other things they said, highly responsive, embrace change, and borrow experience because they're direct issuers. So if you're having... Uh, if you have a difficult loan because you're self-employed or have business assets or multiple properties or any other reason you have a difficult loan, let them take it alone. They may be able to help you out more than anyone else. 385-800-8528, Intercap Lending, NMLS, 19 For more information, visit intercaplending.com. Call Steve Carter at 385-800-8528. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, our Locked On Podcast Network guys have done great work. There have been some big stories over in the Eastern Conference. Sean Woodley is going to give you a long kind of extended look at uh, the Raptors and what happened uh, there and uh, the firing of Dwayne Casey and why. I think it's a really interesting story. Uh, my general take on it is I just don't think Dwayne deserved to lose his job, but I'm not sure that he had enough rope to move forward with the Raptors. He's one of the great guys ever. Um, I'm not sure any of these things are his fault, but I think there's a point in time where it's difficult when you've suddenly lost... Um, you know, uh, 
you, when you've lost support, uh, then I think it becomes obvious. And there's a, there's a hell of a story about um, their GM losing his mind, which we'll talk about throughout the week. Um, because I think it's an interesting story and probably happens a little bit more. Uh, Masai Ujiri uh, kind of came undone, and it's behind, it was an incredible revealing look at what happens behind the scenes between highly competitive people. So uh, we'll take that. Let's take a, We'll talk more about that, but that's my general take. I also The bigger picture I would take is if you have a great coach who's changed your culture and your um, franchise and where it is, I'm not sure moving away from them is a good idea. Uh, if you have a great coach who's changed your culture, built you up to who you are, I, I, I think it's a mistake to move on from that coach. And I think uh, some GM hubris can cause you some problems there where you believe, well, I'll just hire the next great guy. And I'm not always sure that it works out that way. And we'll find out. Uh, but they were not, remember, they were really not good for a long time. All right, here's Sean Woodley with Locked on Raptors. Hey, how's it going? This is Sean Woodley, the host of Locked on Raptors, here to break down the breaking news that Dwayne Casey, the seven-year head coach, of the Toronto Raptors has been let go by the team. This coming, of course, after they were swept for the second straight season by LeBron James and the Cavs. And there is a lot to get into with this. It is a decision that is sort of surprising, but at the same time isn't. Of course, like I don't think anyone could point to the series where the Raptors got swept by the Cavs and say that was all Dwayne Casey's fault. I think a lot of it is just LeBron is LeBron, and he is a powerful singular force who has owned not just the Raptors, but pretty much every other team in the Eastern Conference over the last decade. So I don't think it's a shocker that the Raptors were unable to sort of crack that nut. But I do sort of understand it from the perspective that you know, he didn't have a great series. It was a, it was a tough time. He did not have a defensive game plan that was well-crafted to stopping LeBron. And I think that kind of speaks to the larger issue of Dwayne Casey, which has always kind of been the thing with him, is that he's not the best tactical coach in the world. He is a very good, maybe one of the very best in the league at being a big-picture relationships guy, and he did an excellent job of that. When he was hired by the Raptors, the Raptors were in the middle of nowhere, absolutely listless as a franchise, and I think the decision to hire him was built, you know, a lot around his ability to sort of connect with players and build a culture and form good habits, and he did that, and the Raptors have... You know, been the most successful they've ever been under Dwayne Casey. Five years in a row in the playoffs, 50 wins, three seasons straight, 59 wins, of course, this season after completely changing over the offense. And, you know, it's really sad to see Dwayne Casey go. He's a fantastic guy. He is really easy to deal with with the media, and he did a really great job shepherding this team along from a point that... You know, they really weren't supposed to become this good. You know, they were supposed to blow it up in 2013-14. They traded Rudy Gay. Kyle Lowry was almost out the door. And then, you know, after some friction, him and Casey, Lowry and Casey kind of figured things out, really sort of established a good bond. And, you know, you see where the Raptors are now. People clown them for losing to the Cavs, but no other team has gotten to play the Cavs in the playoffs three years in a row uh, in the second or third round. And I think it speaks very highly that the Raptors are the team that keeps getting beaten by LeBron, as weird as that sounds. You know, they've gotten further than most teams in the East. They have won more playoff series than any uh, any any team in the league, aside from the Cavs and Warriors over the last three seasons. So I think it's, you know, you can clown them all you want, but in, in, in the grand scheme of things, the Raptors have become one of the more you know successful, stable model franchises in the NBA, and a lot of that has to do with Dwayne Casey. So moving on from him does seem like a bit of a strange pivot, at the same time, I do think there there is some reason to it. And I think, you know, part of the reason that, you know, 
the, I think the reflection of Dwayne Casey is that he's been so successful at building the culture and building the, the team from, you know, the, the ground up and sort of getting this big picture thing just sort of hammered down to its science. Like the Raptors are just a really well-run team in the regular season. They win a lot of games for a reason. He's very strict with rotations. He gets guys in roles. They know their roles and they perform them every night. And I think that is honestly sort of the reason that maybe a change is needed in that the Raptors have, have grown under Dwayne Casey to a point where they're no longer in need of a big picture coach anymore. They're in need of someone who's more of a tactical wizard who can kind of look at a series and not take a game or two to adjust, who can kind of, you know, change things up and throw different looks out there that, you know, maybe Dwayne Casey's been a little bit slow to get to in the past. So, you know, I think the next coach is going to be someone who's more of a tactical genius. You know, Jerry Stackhouse is a guy whose name has been thrown out there. I kind of throw Stackhouse just from what I've seen from him at the G League team so far with the Raptors. He's made the finals two years in a row, but I'm not sure he's got sort of the tactical acumen that you would want in who's going to be the next head coach you know I think he's probably a guy considering the job he's done as a development coach with the young guys at the G League you'd probably want for a younger team and if the Raptors are going to blow it all up and trade away Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, Serge Ibaka, Jonas Valanciunas then maybe Stackhouse is the guy but I do think Casey getting fired kind of sense it gives me the sense at least and this could change of course but I do get the sense that, you know, DeRozan, Lowry, you know, whoever else is going to be back next season for one last kick with a new coach. Hopefully a new message message comes across. It's a way to sell it to the fan base that you're bringing back the same team that just got swept two years in a row, but it's going to have a different coach at the, at the helm. And I do think that coach is going to be more of a tactical guy who is more sort of, you know, lauded for his in-game expertise as opposed to more of a big picture thing. Because I, th- I think the Raptors at this point probably believe that their franchise is stable enough and, you know, has come far enough and is, is strong enough you know, as a culture and just sort of a, as, a, as an organization as a whole, that they can withstand not having a guy like Dwayne Casey to be the head coach who is so good at the big picture stuff. So guys I'm thinking about, Nick Nurse is the lead assistant for the Raptors right now. He was sort of the architect of the offensive change the Raptors did this season. And, you know, it worked really well. And he his playbook is deep. It's, it's advanced. And he has been on the sort of short list of coaching candidates for a little while. He's interviewed for a couple jobs here and there. Uh, so I'd expect him to get a long look. And then also the report coming out from Mark Stein and others is that uh, Mike Budenholzer is also someone that's high on Masai Ujiri's list. Uh, I, you know, people joke about Mike Budenholzer and sort of what happened with the Hawks this season. I think it would make some sense as long as he's not getting any sort of you know general managership of the team. I think that's probably what they would want to steer away from if he's looking for complete power like he wanted in Atlanta. Maybe that'll be a difficult sell for him, and I think that would be a difficult sell for the Raptors as well on their end. Um, but you know, a guy like Budenholzer, who you know, while the the Hawks were sort of known as this egalitarian, fun-loving team back in 2015 when they won 60 games, they were the second best defense in the league. And maybe you can sort of count on Budenholzer to craft a better scheme to maybe go up against LeBron James. Here's the thing: no Raptors coach is changing the Raptors' forces against LeBron James unless LeBron James becomes a worse player, which doesn't seem to be on the horizon anytime soon. This, I think, is very much a PR move to try to sell the team sell to the fans that the team coming back is going to have at least a bit of a different voice and maybe sell it as some sort of way to get around LeBron I don't think that's going to happen I don't think any new coach is scheming around LeBron James but uh, I do kind of understand the the, the the pivot here to maybe go from a bigger picture guy to a more tactical guy I really do think that's what it comes down to um, Dwayne Casey was a fantastic coach he's going to be missed uh, by a lot of people in Toronto and you know it's a big risk there's a good chance that the next coach is not as good a coach as Dwayne Casey and I think 
case he should be scooped up by some other team almost immediately. I would bet like Orlando with Jeff Weltman, who was the Raptors GM last season. Maybe that's a candidate there. Um, and you know he's going to be caught, he's going to be picked up soon because he's an excellent coach. And any team that is in sort of disarray and needs to establish a culture should be calling up Dwayne Casey right this minute to get an interview set up. That's all I got on this for now. Check out Locked On Raptors. I'll have a full episode about all of this. We'll get into all the different angles of sort of the optics of the Dwayne Casey firing and sort of where to go from here, what kind of candidate the Raptors should be looking for, and uh, maybe throw some names out there and maybe, you know, sort of hypothesize what, what else we're going to see from this offseason, which apparently is going to feature lots of change for the Raptors, a team that has not changed a whole lot uh, in, in a bunch of years. So interesting times ahead for the Raptors. You can hear it all on Locked On Raptors uh, with myself, Sean Woodley, and thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Sean. That was a little bit of an extended look. Usually this will be shorter when we do these over the year and have the breaking news. Uh, Lloyd Pierce is kind of an unknown guy, and the Atlanta Hawks aren't a marquee franchise, but I thought this hiring was interesting. So let's check in with Brad Rowland of Locked on Hawks. Hello, friends. I am Brad Rowland of the Locked on Hawks podcast, and the Atlanta Hawks officially have a new basketball coach as of Friday evening as the team announced that they have an agreement in principle with a former, I guess now former, Philadelphia 76ers assistant coach Lloyd Pierce, who will be a first-time head coach in the NBA. That comes on the heels of the team parting ways with Mike Budenholzer back on April 25th, and since that point, the Hawks did a pretty extensive search. They interviewed seven candidates after that they narrowed things down to three or four finalists, but at the same time, um, that you know, over the last few days, it certainly appeared as if they were going to center on Lloyd Pierce. Of course, the, six, the Sixers were still involved in the playoffs until late in the week here. But at the same time, there was uh, plenty of meetings. Apparently, Pierce met with the Hawks on three different occasions, including meetings with Tony Ressler, the, the team's owner, and the GM, Travis Schlink. And at, at the end of the process, uh, both Adrian Wojnarowski and Mark Spears at ESPN broke the news of the hire on Friday evening. And uh, here we are. And after that, it had been basically a, a less than woke up secret in the, uh, in the last several hours of the uh, candidacy transitioning into that offer and, of course, the acceptance on the part of Pierce. He brings with him a strong player development background in Philadelphia and uh, several other stops before that, including Golden State, in which he worked with Travis Schlenk briefly. Schlenk was, of course, an assistant under, under Bob Myers in the front office with the Warriors before taking over for the Hawks. Uh, and Atlanta clearly was targeting a young coach to help, to help lead their rebuilding. Pierce was actually, ironically, hired on his 42nd birthday on Friday, and he's going to be tasked with, with doing just that in the future for the Hawks as this team transitions. Um, of course, they already spent uh, most of this season rebuilding uh, and uh, after a, after a a 10-year playoff streak came to an end, but uh, with Budenholzer out the door and Pierce in the door, a lot of uh, sort of overturning and uh, sort of overhauling the way that the, that the team's going to be operating, and of course, everyone is uh, pretty upbeat when it comes to this hire. It's uh, definitely the case with any first-time coaching hire that the jury has to be out at this point still with the ability of Pierce to manage all of the overall tasks associated with being a head coach for the first time, managing a staff, all that fun stuff. But all of the buzz out of Philadelphia is very positive about his defensive approach, his player relations, his player development. A lot of a lot of congratulations coming um, coming from Pierce, uh, coming to Pierce, I should say, from around the league. Um, guys who, who played for him in Philadelphia and other spots reaching out um, but publicly on social media to congratulate Pierce, and the Hawks are very, very pleased with their hire. He'll be introduced on Monday, but in the meantime, the Hawks have a new head coach, and uh, right, in, right in time for a, a very, very pivotal moment at the at the NBA draft lottery on Tuesday. Pierce will be in place for that point in time, and the Hawks can look sort of cohesively at the future in Atlanta. So a lot of things to be excited about in the middle of a rebuild for the Hawks, and Lloyd Pierce will be the head coach beginning right about now. 
All right, that gives you your Locked On Jazz today, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Remember to go to LockedOnSports.com for all your latest. You can get subscribed to the email from uh, as well from uh, FanRag uh, on all the Locked On sites and get your latest news and information there as well. It is Locked On Jazz, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.